hit these motherfuckers with some dopey, dude. I love that dopey every day. I love to hear the next thing that Chris and Dave are gonna say. And yes, there's dopey. I used to be a junkie, but now I have some hopey because of those dopes down at Dopey. So as always, this episode of Dopey is brought to you by our friends at Aloe Recovery in southern, sunny California. Aloe Recovery is an awesome place to go if you're a drug addict and you're fucked and you want to get help. Aloe has so many good things going for it. Let's start at the top. It's our friend Bob Forrest's place. Bob and Evan Haynes and other Bob have set up a place that makes addicts uh, feel respected and loved uh, where they matter, which is nice because I've been to a ton of, uh, of treatments and I never felt like I mattered anywhere. And I would have loved to have gone to a place like Aloe. Their staff has a combined 675 years of experience treating uh, addiction and mental health problems, including SMI. They use state-of-the-art pharmacology for their detox services, making clients as comfortable as they can be, which, again, is incredibly important if you're going through a tough withdrawal. Their clinical director, Dr. Dina Mannion, Mannion, has three decades of experience treating addiction and mental health disorders, and most importantly, the amenities rule, surfing, horseback riding, sweat lodge, and the incredible-sounding sound bath meditation. Now, uh, those are a lot of good reasons to go to Aloe, not to mention uh, Jeremy says it's good. So go to Aloe. If you're fucked, go to Aloe and get help. Now, this podcast, this dopey, dopey podcast that's coming in your ears, is also brought to you by the great people of JustCoffee.coop, where it's justice from the grounds up. Now, I have to say this. Today, no, yesterday, I went to Target. Why did I go to Target? Because I bought a coffee grinder and a French press because that's how good the Just Coffee Co-op coffee is. So I got this Just, I I have my Just Coffee roasts, I have the Humdinger, I have the Ariba, and I have the Super Dark Maya, and I'm going to grind them coarsely and I'm going to make them luxuriously in my French press because I love to drink coffee. If you want to support Dopey, get the JustCoffee.coop coffee that is the dopey coffee enter the the code dopey pod you'll save some money we'll get credit for the sale and you will be supporting the show that is just coffee.coop and the code is dopey pod so get yourself a nice cup of coffee just coffee coffee thank you here's the show Hello and welcome to Dopey, the podcast about drugs, addiction, and dumb shit. And I am Dave. And welcome to a very, very, very special edition of Dopey. And before we really start the show, I just want to thank a young woman who uh, made uh, my day much sweeter. Her name is Christy. She's Australian. She's a Dopey fan. Check it out. I um I was killing myself with work, as I like to complain that I do, but I really do. I had uh, started my day at like 5 in the morning, and I dragged uh, myself to, to the restaurant, and we went on a catering job. 
And when we came back from the catering job, one of my friends who's a waiter there named Lenny, uh, pathological gambler, Dominican chap, uh, took me. I used to smoke bong hits with him every day. Lenny used to come to my apartment and smoke weed with me. Anyway, Lenny pulls me aside. He said, a young lady... Uh, a dopey fan stopped by the restaurant and she left me cookies and a note. And, um, and I just want to thank you, Christy, Christy's husband. Thank you for bringing the cookies. Uh, so sweet. Uh, very, very nice. I also want to thank, um, I mean, this is a very important moment in the history of dopey. Um, I never wanted to set up a Patreon account, uh, Chris and I had talked about it and we had, you know, talked about doing different things to make money. Chris always wanted to, you know, ironically now, Chris always wanted to become a sober coach and he wanted to coach the dopey nation on how to stay clean. And it's ironic for any new listeners because Chris wound up uh, relapsing, overdosing and dying. And if it wasn't so sad, it would be funny uh, that he wanted to sober coach and neither of us wanted to do a Patreon account. But, you know, there are a bunch of listeners and I am killing myself with work and I do work very hard on the show, and I do want the show to grow. And I think one way the show grows is uh, by reinvesting into the show, by buying ads, by uh, by paying for stuff that uh, we haven't paid for before. And uh, it can make the show bigger. And ultimately, if we make enough money, it can uh, maybe make it so we have two episodes a week, which would be really cool. So we set up, or I set up, a Patreon account, which is very uncomfortable because it feels like begging. Um, so if you guys are in the Dopey Nation and you want to throw some money at Dopey, uh, you go to, uh, hold on, let me figure where you go. You go to www.patreon, that's P-A-T-R-E-O-N.com slash Dopey Podcast. It's very simple. There's a bunch of tiers. You can give two bucks, five bucks, ten bucks, twenty bucks, a hundred bucks. You can give whatever you want, really. Click any of the tiers and give whatever amount you want. If you give uh, ten or more and you leave your address, I'll send you stickers, the basic Dopey stickers. If you give twenty or more and you leave your address, I will send you the fancy, fancy dopey stickers uh which more are forthcoming now that we have patreon there's gonna be all sorts of cool stuff more merchandise is coming if you don't want to join patreon but you want stickers you can just venmo me uh 10 bucks for the cheapies to dopey podcast at venmo put your address in if you want the fancies venmo me 15 or 20 or whatever 15 is fine if you want to venmo it uh, again, to Dopey Podcast with your address, and I will send you the fancy stickers. I don't love uh, the idea of making money on this thing, but it costs money. I paid for the stickers. I pay for the shipping. I pay for the fucking hats. Whatever. Money, 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 money. Um, speaking of money, tomorrow, me and my family are going on our first uh, family vacation since the baby was born. The baby just turned one yesterday. So me and Linda and the, our daughters and uh, Linda's parents and my dad are all going to the Bahamas. So that's very exciting. Um, so you can uh, Patreon the, the bellhop or whatever. Um, but we're excited to go. And it might be raining. It might not. The, the forecast says thunderstorms, but we'll see what happens. I'm excited to go. I've never been uh, anywhere in years. I haven't been out of the country in I don't know, 25 years or something. Last time I went out of the country is when I went to Jamaica and I smuggled uh, 60 bags of heroin into Jamaica. Anyway, 
Uh, it's an exciting show today. It's a very, very diverse show. First up, with 28 years in recovery, they based uh, an A&E show based on his life. His name is Warren Boyd. He runs a treatment center in Southern California. He's known as a cleaner. If you've ever seen the Benjamin Bratt show, The Cleaner, it was based on this guy's life. Here is Warren Boyd. So we have the pleasure of having this guy. His name is Warren Boyd calling into the show. Warren, um, Warren runs a treatment center in California called Wavelengths, right? Right. But that's not why I want you on the show. I want you on the show because, from what I hear, you have an insane story uh, of debauchery, drug addiction, and recovery. Is this true? This is true. This is true. So, from what I understand, you grew up in uh, in Northern California. Yeah, I grew up in the wine country, Sonoma County, Napa County, um, about an hour north of San Francisco. And the thing that people talk about you is there's this big show called The Cleaner, which was based on your life and your unconventional fucking no-holds-barred style to get people clean. Is this true? That's, that's true. A fiction based on fact uh, cable TV show. Yeah. Okay. Well, um, so yeah. what, what got you into, into this kind of a business in the first place? Well... You know, first of all, it, it, I, I tried to, I tried to, you know, stop getting caught for DUIs, and I tried to stop all that stuff while I was still drinking and using, and it wasn't working for me. So uh, they finally started to put me in prison, and then the last time I was in prison, I, I, uh, mis- I mistakenly. Or I went to NA in prison for all the wrong reasons. Um, like what? What were the wrong reasons to go to NA? Well, prison? that I could get from one from one yard to another yard at the prison if I was a member of NA. They would uh, on certain nights they would let us get get up to go to get out of the cell to go to NA, and it was on another another yard where we could do some business. And take care of some things back and forth, you know, uh, things like that. So I was doing it for all the wrong reasons. So were you like, and, were you selling drugs in prison? Uh, yeah, I was. I, I was. I was moving things around. It was always just weed. I never liked to get involved in the other stuff, but there was plenty of the weed thing going on. So getting from yard to yard was important, and I used, I used, uh, unfortunately, I used NA to do it. That's funny. That's but, ironic. Yeah, and that's why I don't count. That's why I didn't count the first year. Although I didn't use that first year, I can't count it because what I was doing was wrong. It was not it was sober, bad. sober. It was it was abstinent, sober. Yeah, it was it was it was taking advantage, sober. Right. So so that that uh, eleven months didn't count. Well, you don't you don't count it. So you you actually have twenty nine years abstinent, but twenty eight years sober. Is what we're saying. That's correct. All right. That's correct. Right on. And and, so, and so, you know who told me about you was uh, was our buddy Ashley Hamilton, who uh, he came on the show a bunch of times, and he's like, "You should get Warren on the show. He's got crazy stories." <laughs> That's what Ashley always said. Yeah, one of them includes Ashley, by the way. The- <laughs> Ashley, Ashley became like like uh, one of my kids. Actually, he, I mean, I, I've known Ashley for a long time. There, 
there's been a lot of bonking around going on and over the years and so yeah we have some stories that's for sure collectively we really have some stories but you know it just depends it just depends i mean all these stories are true and some of it some of it's just so ridiculous that 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 you can't fathom it you'd have to be fucked up to do it right i under what what got you into into prison in the first place um battery it was battery deadly weapon and basically bar fights wow okay Uh, one of those one of those guys i'm not a big guy i'm like you know five five eight and i like to present myself as a six foot four guy when i'm drinking right um doesn't work out good in most bars and and you know i end up having to defend my defend my life and i usually am the asshole that starts the problem you know when i'm back then i just remember it all like it was an hour ago really it's still like that kind of recall for you 29 years later man I, I was just I was just talking to the whole room full of people, and you know this this long later, I remember all of it. People talk about I don't remember this and I don't remember that. Shit, I remember just about every bit of it. I remember why I went to jail, how long I was there. I remember what I did afterwards. When they let me out, I had a probation officer and a parole officer, and they both followed me around for like two or three years. I got to five years. And I'm and I was off parole, and I'm on my couch. My, my son was a baby; he was on my lap. My daughter was asleep. She was about three years old. Yeah, she was almost four years old. She was asleep, and all of a sudden, and 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 this is weird because I had some cousins that are straight hillbillies from you know from the mountains in Northern California or, or Oregon, almost to Oregon. And they were going to come and visit me, and they they had a they were having trouble believing that I was, you know, six years sober. And I'm Why? like, no, I'm running, I'm running, you know, I, I have my own sober livings. I I am six years sober, and you know, my wife was attesting to that, and all this other stuff. So they drive all the way down from Portland. So right when they get to my front yard, they see all these cars swoop up on my grass, and they're they're not cop cars; they're undercover unmarked my 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 living room door my living room door flew into the kitchen by the battering ram all these dudes come running in the house they hog tie me they throw me in the back of a thunderbird and off to chino state prison i go and they put me in the hole and and you know the long story short of it is uh, this is all a mistake. This yeah, is what one was of these things. what was the charge? Well, they they were going through. They told me they were going through the the DOJ files, and they were uh, they were doing filing up in Sacramento or whatever. Somebody hit. They said someone hit the wrong button and reactivated my case. Oh my god! From, from all those years before that, so they had me listed with the apprehension team as armed and dangerous. And and that's how they showed up, as if I was armed armed and dangerous. So it was it was a total case of mistaken identity, mistaken. It was wow. They could just push a button. Yeah, they push a button and you're in the hole. That's crazy. Yeah, they had the right guy, and I was there 13 days. Oh my god. So so I'm there 13 days, and they um, they're still going through 
this whole process and a, a couple of, of uh, politicians came down and they wanted me released because they knew me and they wanted you know Department of Justice to figure out this glitch or this problem they were having and they said no problem we're going to let him out but he's going to have to go to Northern California that's where he caught the case and he so now I'm a, now I'm a man without a home and I'm I'm in the abyss because I got to go be where where the offense was you know so I'm in a I'm in a motel where the offense was while they straighten this thing out for a few weeks. So I come back, the wife's gone, the kids are gone, the house is vacant, and now I'm tripping. <laughs> you know? Where does I mean, your family go? Um, I've, apparently, I think it just scared the bejesus out of her, and I think that I think that she didn't know what to think. And um, she just, she kind of moved on, you know. Um, Was that we, the end of the marriage? No, we tried to get it back together later, and we were together for a while after that, but just didn't pan out. Wow. It just, it just didn't pan out. But between that and my cousins showing up and getting guns pointed at them, they thought, you know, they said, well, okay, that's, that's cool, you, you know. Okay, they, they they were just like you're. This is this is the last time you pull this on us. <laughs> wow! So even though you had there, six years clean and sober, and you're running sober livings, you, the wrong button gets pushed. Your hillbilly cousins show up. You go to jail, and it's enough to totally fucking rock your family, basically. Yeah, and then and then you know, and I'm and it's not. There's a silver lining to this whole thing, but. It's not all a catastrophe because I, so I get, I'm in the cell, the medical comes to check me out. I got this circle on my forehead. So they run to the MTA with me because they said I had ringworms. And I'm trying to tell them the whole time that's from the gun barrel. There's no fucking ringworms. You know, they just, it, it's a, it's a, it's from the gun barrel. But sure enough, they figured out it was from some kind of an object that was pressed into my forehead, which was the gun, which was the gun. Right. So, so after that, so I'm in the cell and I'm talking to this guy, Mario, that's in the cell with me and I'm telling him the story and he's just rolling his eyes and all that other shit that's going on. Jesus Christ. He's like, I I just, I got to go to sleep. So long story short of it, I told him when I get through this, I'm going to come back here and I'm going to get you out because he told me his story. And I, 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 I know I knew that I could get him a treatment episode. So a month and a half, right around two months later, I picked him up at, at, at Chino State Prison. I did get him out, and I did get him into a, a long-term program. That's so cool. that, guy, that guy is still out, and he's still sober. Because of this terrible thing that happened. That's funny. Because of this horrible thing that happened. Mario got kids. saved. He got saved, man. So I think I, I have to think that that's why all that shit happened. That sounds good to me. Let me ask you this, man. Fucking, you went to jail because of this battery battery deal, but you came out uh, a man like determined to help drug addicts. What what happened? Like, what made you want to do that? There were two things that happened. What, the first thing that really made me want to do that was. The reason I was in jail this last time in the first place, my I, I was using my my daughter Courtney was born. Um, I was just I you know I was just nuts at the time. What were you using? A lot of co- cocaine and alcohol. Okay. So I'm slamming coke and 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 drinking Jack Daniels like it's going out of style. Right. So 
my find out my my daughter's being born in the hospital. So I'm I'm loaded. I go to the hospital. I go into the room. Um, they they hand I snuck in there because the cops were already looking for me for this thing that happened at the bar. Right. So I sneak in there. Um, they hand me the baby. The baby's all pink and glowing, and the room was like fluorescent. It was just luminescent. It just when you say the light came on, I mean the light really came on. Wow! So you and had I, one of I these thought, Bill W. moments. I had one of those moments. I have to say that you know it sounds so cliche, but I have to say it because it happened. And I thought you know somebody's fucking with the lights. They're fucking with me, or I'm tweaking. Right. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah, yeah. But then I just had this warm feeling come over me, and then I go. I leave because they want me to leave. Nobody wants me there. Um, and, you know, I'm thinking, okay, that's it. I, I've had enough. I, I, I know they're looking for me, so I go to the police station. I said, fuck it, I'm going to turn myself in. I know you guys have a warrant. You came to my house and all this other stuff. Um, and they couldn't find the warrant. So, they, so, I mean, basically, I can't get arrested now. They can't, they can't find the, the, the offense, so I can't get arrested. So it took me four days to get arrested. Because they figured it out eventually. Yeah, they finally figured it out, and they're blowing my phone up, and they, they want me now. <laughs> you know? Yeah. So I'm like, well, hang on a second. Let's, let, let me think about this. <laughs> right, let's know? talk about this now. You know, I had to really, you know, try to get it together. So that's – I did turn myself in, and I did sit there for 16 months. And the baby did come and visit me and turn into a toddler through the glass window, right? And all and all of that stuff. So that was one thing where the you know the wand hit the top of the head, and that, that really and that did. really changed that, that changed your brain. And then I mean, you started going to NA in jail, but you said it was to move weed, but you had this white light moment. So how do those two things jive? Well, the, it it didn't drive that good because, you know, first of all, I was feeling guilty and I was moving things around because I didn't have anything. Right. And I was determined to make some money so I could send some money home. Right. And I actually did uh, for a couple of months. And then I thought, you know, this is just not, this is not, it's not okay. I was making moves. It wasn't okay. Um, I finally got into the the middle i'll tell you what happened is jimmy newberger and van hayes from impact house showed up at the prison um it at the na meeting and for some reason picked me out and said you're the guy you're gonna you're gonna be the chairman chairman of the meeting yeah and you're gonna do and then and the chairman of na because they didn't have a chairman the chairman left so, so that's where I. So now I become the chairman, and now I decide I'm not going to do this anymore. I'm fucking done. I'm really done. Now I'm going to start doing the sober thing. So we grew that we grew that group from somewhere around thirty-five to forty-five people to a few hundred people in the jail. We ended up in the in the prison. Yeah, wow. it got big, and I left there. I left there the chairman of NA. So let me and ask you. Let I, me ask you this, Warren. You still do you still go to NA or no? Once in a while, I go. Um, I usually go when somebody asks me to. I don't. You know, I don't. Um, I, I really. 
am grateful for this 12 step program. And I really, you know, I want to do, I want to do whatever I can for anybody that's in 12 step, but, um, I'll just be honest and, and let you know that I don't go to that many meetings. I go to meetings once in a while. Right. I, you know, I, I got, I had, I had gotten clean in NA and then I relapsed real bad. And now I go, you know, now I'm trying to, to like honor the tradition. And I'll say, I'll go to another fellowship, but like for you, yeah. were you always an NA guy or did you go back and forth or how was that? I, I went back and forth because I, I started out actually with AA when I popped out of prison. Right. Um, I got uh, some guys, I got some guys um, that were that were deeply into AA, including Dr. Paul, who was one of my sponsors, until he until he couldn't drive anymore. But um, I, I got two guys that were actually in the big book because I'm I, I I was a person who, and I still am. I have to find the nucleus to everything. I can't. I can't. I'm not going to drive the car until I know exactly how many cylinders we're running on here. Okay. You know, and what, and I have to know what am I? What is this that I'm doing? And so, I dug into the AA stuff, and I got a. It took me. Um, uh, it took some effort, but I got a lot of information about the twelve step, where it came from, the Oxford group, you know, the acid trials, the whole nine. To I, really you know, understand just, it, to really understand, to the really understand it. it, right? Yeah, and and I was kind of nutty. I was kind of nutty when I, uh, even when I had my first house and then my second house, you know, I was taking guys into the sober livings that were in prison because that's all, that's all, those are the guys that I knew that needed to come in. So they were getting out and coming in the house. So my buddy comes in the house, Stan, the man, Stan, the man comes in the house. I love Stan. I'm going to make him the house manager. So I make him the house manager. He you know, repays the whole thing by robbing a fucking bank with all the guys in the van. Yeah. <laughs> so he, ro- so, yeah. So he robs the B of A, the local B of A. It has to be the local B of right. A, just so it can really come home to you. Yes. So he can just bring all the guys in the van home to me. So this was comedic because I don't know what's going on. I just see the helicopter. I hear the sirens. Here comes the van. Piece of shit van we had. All the guys are in the van. Stan's driving, they, they slide it up into the driveway, and all these cops are here, you know, and everybody's, the gun's out, everybody's on their face. This whole bullshit happens, you know? So the guys want to, they want to beat Stan up, because they didn't know he robbed a bank. Right. He went in the bank, he told them to, hang on a second, got to go in the bank. He goes in the bank, he does it with a note, he comes out, and he's got like 16, 1700 bucks, I forget what it was. And it was on after that. So they they want to kill him. The only reason they don't is because the cops all got their guns out. So that was my that was my that was where I turned things a little bit and I thought, hmm, I think it's a good idea if I start opening the houses to the general fucked up public. Not just prisoners, because you don't because you not get the next the next uh, armed robbery people and that's not really great for yeah. business. So let yeah, me ask you not, this. Yeah. Um, from what I understand, you know, your claim to fame was incredibly unconventional methods to get people clean. And when I talked to our friend Chuck, he was talking about some kidnappings you did, some strange sort of interventionist methods 
uh, you want, and also like that, you know, I just want to say this, you don't have to say this and you can tell me to shut up if you want, but like, from what I understand, you're responsible from getting some, for getting some very, very, very renowned people clean and sober on my list. I have fucking Robert Downey Jr., Courtney Love, Whitney Houston, you know, it's like a pretty big deal from where I'm sitting in my little attic over here. Um, so do you want to talk about your un, un, you know, unconventional methods or do you want to talk about your incredibly famous clientele? Well, let me, let me give you the, let me tell you, I never kidnapped anybody. Okay. okay? Let me, let me let you know that, but let me, let me say it this way. I mean, there was some, there was some trickery involved in some things, you know, but never kidnapped anybody. It's like somebody one time, a lot of that came from this. Someone we knew I knew someone that I was working with who I knew was about to order a town car. So the town car, as soon as he called to order the town car, I put my driver in a town car. I sent him to pick him up. I took out the dome light, sent him over there. The decoy car. So, the decoy, decoy town car. car. Okay. Right. So here's how I got that handled. So he jumps in the car, they take off. All of a sudden, we're doing you know ninety miles and ninety miles an hour on the four hundred five northbound, and our guy starts tripping out in the back seat, realizing that this is a habitual fuck up because it, we're not we're not going to get some dope. We are now on the freeway, and this is not what we ordered. You know what I mean? So that's that's kind of where that handle came from. How did you so know no, that he had ordered the car? Like, how did you set that whole thing up for him? Well, before, what I used to do when I would work with somebody, and, and this is what I used to do, it, um, I would make sure that I knew everything before I started working with them. So that would create the need for surveillance by somebody who was licensed to do that. So I would do that. Um, and, you know, just I'm, I'm, a, I'm a little older, so I have a lot of contacts and a lot of friends. There's no magic to it at all. When you've been around for a while, you could just get some shit done, you know? Yes, sir. So, so that's the way I did everything was put, put everybody, whoever, whoever it is, you know, we're going we're gonna to see, you know, where the money's coming from, where the drugs are coming from. We're going to see who's picking it up, who's dropping it off. We're going to figure out, you know, who the mailman is and all that stuff and then approach You'll you'll know as you'll know every detail you can, so as to to make the unsuspecting future client, uh, uh, you know, comply with your with your tactic, basically. Yeah, absolutely. Right on. Absolutely. And, and can you think of any really gnarly stories of? Um, you know, it doesn't have to be famous people because I don't want you to give anything up. I understand your business is a, a business of discretion. Not to mention, it's not right, right? Yeah, it's not right. So fuck that. Think of just a general story where you like got some junkie drug addict out of a situation. Like, can you remember any funny, ridiculous um, stories like that? I actually can. Um, here's here's one that's ridiculous, and I don't. Yeah, I didn't do anything wrong. So I get somebody who is smoking crack at one of the at one of the one of the uh, supposedly cool hotels there in um, on Sunset Boulevard, right? So she's smoking crack. There's a lot of things going on. And the people that smoke crack want to hide 
a lot. So I'm there and I'm, I'm, you know, I'm given the word we got to get out of here because, you know, household and everybody else, and they all, everyone knows you're smoking crack. It's not good. The cops are going to end up coming in. It's not going to be all bad. So she decided, okay, we're going to go. So we go to my car and we go back. We, we go to my car. I, we're running back inside the hotel now because we're scared. We don't want to be outside. We don't want people to see us. This is my client. So she says, if you let me get in the trunk, I'll go. Okay, fine. So it's a, it's a, it's a 2001 Cadillac DTS. So it has a little soprano hole in the trunk that goes from the back seat into the trunk. Wow. So she's in the trunk. Everything's cool now. We're good. She's in the trunk. The, the hole is open. And we decide, she decides that she's going to fire up a smoke and just lay in the trunk and listen to the music and smoke a cigarette. So she's in the trunk smoking a cigarette. And sure enough, man, I was by LAX. I got lit up by a cop. So so I, I pull over. There's all this smoke billowing out of the car. Yeah. It, we're, I mean, we're just, we're, we're completely busted, you know. I tell the cop, look, you know, I'm headed to rehab and blah, blah, blah. And here's what's going on. And he's like, pop the fucking trunk. So I pop the trunk. He goes, oh, holy shit. He sees who it is. He goes, okay, you need to get in the backseat. You two need to get off my freeway. If I see you again, you're both going to jail. So I got away with that one. She wasn't smoking crack in the trunk, though, was she? No, it was cigarettes. Okay, that would be hysterical, though. Um, no, thank, thank God she wasn't smoking crack. She did have the crack pipe in her hand, but wasn't smoking crack. But I set it up when I told him, look, you know, we're, we're, we have a crackhead in the trunk here, <laughs> you know, and it was, it was, that was one of the, that was one of the, the, the funnier scenarios, but it's a good thing. Those two CHPs were older guys. They were older guys. They looked at each other and they looked at her and they looked at me and said, get the fuck out of here. Was she famous? This woman? Oh yeah, and they knew who she was. I can't tell you who she was, but <laughs> if she's listening to this, she knows. <laughs> we we both know she's probably not listening to this, but I think that's a, a crazy, crazy story. Um, let it me is. ask it's you. Crazy. Let me ask you this, uh, because this is your business, and it's kind of like, I mean, it's a it's a pretty basic question. I, I'm you know I'm coming up on four years clean. Uh, I work in a restaurant. Uh, I know how I got clean. I know that when I was in treatment, uh, very little got through to me. Um, what do you think is gets through to people? You know, when you're when you're treating them or trying to treat them, like what can well, can you have any like sense of how it works? Well, thank you for asking that because I, I I I'm I'm glad I get to answer it. One, that I'm alive to answer it, and number two, because we found something that seems to be working at least right now. And I'll tell you what that is. So the clients are used to the old hammer, the 12-step hammer, you know? Right. They come in the door and we're starting to talk about, you know, normally you know what you hear when you come in the door of a treatment center. You're, you're, you're just hearing all the traditional stuff. So the way that this model was created was teaching people what happened from 1953 forward to now so that all this entire generation can understand how we got where we are with the, with the drugs and with all the bullshit. So let's say you're 25 years old, you come into Wavelength. So I'm going 
I'm going to ask you to study wherever your parents were geographically, whether it was Hell's Kitchen, wherever it was, you're going to study the decade that they were in when they were your age. So you're going to study the decade that your mom was in from 25 to 35 years old. And you're going to bring me posters and film and everything else that is based on that decade so that you can understand exactly what tree your parents fell out of and what they were exposed to when they were your age. And that's what you have your clients do? That's what they do. Wow. So it's it's everything from beat poets to Hell's Kitchen, right? And, And they're very knowledgeable of all these things. So they're required to study 37 different subjects like that. They're all historical, music, everything. So... So they can tell, they can now tell you, they can tell their parents exactly what kind of music their parents were listening to, where did their parents live, what kind of drugs were available, what was happening societally at that time. And now they have come to an epiphany to where they actually understand why their parents don't understand a fucking thing that's going on with them. Right. <laughs> and, and, and it dawns on them, oh, oh, okay, we... I think I get it. I had one lady get him, get on my case because she admitted using cocaine to her daughter. Right. Thanks to you, I've now admitted the, the use of cocaine in 1973 to my daughter because of your little goddamn projects. Well, is the idea you know? is the idea to connect the addict with their own yeah. origin story yeah. and like why they felt like removed from it or they felt alone or they felt so different from their family or their folks. That's exactly correct. Okay, that makes sense. That's exactly correct. I think so, that's cool. So the hard part, the hard part is getting the parents to do the flip-flop and study the kids decade. I bet. And the reason and the reason they don't like to do it is because they're in it. It's easy for the kids to do it on the parents because they weren't in it. Not to mention the parents. I mean, I know a lot of parents whose kids are in treatment and they want the kids to get better, but that's all they want. They don't want to do anything. You know, I have a buddy. They don't want to do anything. You know, they don't no. want to like, they don't, they don't. I have a buddy who, who just actually died from this thing and, um, and his parents didn't even show up at the fucking family groups at the rehab, let alone writing a new, a paper about, you know, the nineties or something. You know what I mean? Like, yeah, and, and I, I mean, you come in this space and it's the vibe. It's all about the vibe. It's not about, you know, without the vibe, you're, you got nothing. Right. Without the vibe, you got nothing. And the first thing I teach, I just taught a class this morning. You know, we're going to talk about the Hopper Pass, the Disney Hopper Pass, which is comes in the form of a healthcare card. So... Everybody who has a healthcare card, raise your hand. <laughs> raise your hand. How many of you people have been to ten different facilities? Almost everybody raises their hand. Okay, now you now let's talk about abusing the healthcare system and how the fuck this all works. <laughs> you know? Right. So so we go through those scenarios three times a week about what this is. They they don't we don't have enough treatment centers that will just lay it all on the floor. And that's what we have to do. Here it is. It's on the floor. And I think the, I think if there's a claim to fame, it's to be given to the kids. Because here's what they've been able to do. If you let them, they will create the most fantastic treatment center that you've ever seen. Right. But you have to let them. And you have to, you have to let them know that you feel like they have a brain and they can think and that they are smart. 
I think that you respect the client, you mean. Yeah, give them the respect of being a knowledgeable human being. Yeah, I don't think I ever had that. Ex- yeah. I, I don't yeah, remember. Yeah, stop calling them an addict and stop talking about addict all fucking day. You know what I mean? It, it, we, let's talk about what you know. Let's talk about what you don't know. Let's talk about what kind of ideas you have. If you owned the treatment center, what would it look like? Right. You know, that's how this place got to where it's at from them. Well, what about just, you know, obviously there are successes and obviously they can't all be successes, you know? Right, that's right. And, uh, and, and how much does it, I mean, you've been in this business for a long time, right? Yeah, I've been in it every day of my 28 years. Okay, well, I mean, how much does it affect you when people don't make it, uh, when they relapse, when they die? Like, how difficult is that for you or, or do you get numb to it? Like, what is that no. like for you? It's 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 horrible for me, and and it you know I I you know years ago maybe when I was four five six years in I saw a lot of it, and I'm still seeing a lot of it. Don't get me wrong, but it was it's just as difficult now as it was then, and I think the only thing that I've come to is that I don't need to question whether I should continue doing this or not because. I used to question that when some a tragedy would happen, I would be wondering if I should keep doing this or if I could keep doing this. But I tried to go back to working on cars and all that stuff, and it didn't work. Right. It, this is what I have to do. Well, everybody does what they have to do, and I appreciate your time a lot. Um, I know that when I went into treatment, like I don't know that if someone had me write a paper on my parents' uh, – era it would have done it for me or not i know that i went to treatment a lot of times and i wasn't done you know what i mean like i that's knew, right that's i right. knew in my heart i still wanted to get high you know i i, I wanted to get high until the very end of my run like i just didn't want right. to stop i i really loved it um and i didn't want to stop and and i have so many i know so many people who feel like that and like that must be the biggest miracle if you can ever find somebody who's not done and, and, and sort of poke a hole in it. Is that possible? You can. You, it is possible. And the, and the way that that the way that I find a little traction with that, Dave, and that's one thing that, you know, it doesn't go across the board. OK, but <clears throat> it does work with some people where these things that I'm talking about and, and and all the outings and the things that we do, if we can keep them busy enough, because when they get here. They're they're pretty fucked up, you know, and yeah. they got to go through detox and they got to do all that. So I, when somebody tells me when they get here, I'm never going to stop. I'm this, 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 this. OK, some of them are right, but a lot of them are not right because they're they're just too they're just too inundated with the drug to say anything else but that. Right. So if we can keep them busy and keep them off kilter with other shit. It's like a computer where we got to get all this, we got to push all this new data in and push the old data back so far that it's no longer prevalent. Right. They don't want to access that information. They want to, they they like the look of the new information. Yes. And so they start to fall in love with the new information. And that's, that's the, that's what I, that's what I, I strive for. That's what I'm looking for. That's, I'm trying to push it. I'm push it and push it, and, you know, until I've got some time, like three, four months. The average stay here is six months. Right. 
so we can clear some people up. So how much time do you think somebody need? What what would you say some kid, you know, a 25-year-old kid who's strung out on heroin wants to stop but doesn't necessarily, not really done, how much time would you recommend they go into treatment for? 15 months. Wow, 15 months. Yeah. They need that kind of time to reprogram their brains. They really do, but that doesn't mean that they're in primary treatment for 15 months. That means that let's say they come in the front door on the first month and they're going into detox. They're going to go through all six levels. And by the 15th month, they are working a job. They're still living in the program, but they're working a job. They're saving money. They know where they're able to live based on how much money they're making. They are either back in education or they understand that they need more education. Because we're big on that. Everybody gets a GED that goes through here. Um, Those kinds of things, brain things, you know. So we've just, you know, engaging everything. We've had better luck with people who, who stay, you know, 15, 14, 15 months. Right. Who are severe, people who are severe. Right, because they can re- they can become different. They can actually have real change in that kind of time. There's enough time for them to actually be different. I never went to treatment that long. I went to a treatment in Florida for like six months, and then I did four months outpatient. But probably two months into the outpatient, I was uh, I found weed and I was smoking weed and hanging out in the ocean and stuff. Um, well, sure, uh, because I wasn't done. I wasn't ready. But um, yeah. But Warren, I love having you on the show. I really appreciate your time, and uh, I think you're doing. Uh, it's it's awesome because I could hear it in your voice that you really you really want to help people, and I and I think that's I, that's awesome. Yeah, I'm fortunate enough to do it. I can't I can't believe I get to. You know what I mean? So, thank you for what you do, Dave. I do my best. A lot of good stuff, dude. If you want to tell, why don't you tell one last fucking terrible story before you go? Okay, there. I was fucked up on acid in Northern California, and I was driving a Datsun 240Z. And for a couple of days, I had this little dude that was riding around with me. He was completely hairy. You couldn't see his eyes or his face. But he was very real to me. It looked like something out of a beautiful mind. Uh-huh. And and I, I went to a place called Gravity Hill where you park the car, you get out of the car, and the car goes up the hill by itself. Yeah. I get there, I, you know, I'm, I'm stopping at bars with this guy in my car and I'm, I'm telling him, don't fuck with the car, stay in the car, don't get out of the car. I'm having full blown conversations with this guy. So I get up there, um, but there is no guy. There is no guy. I get, he's, he's not there. I get out of the car. The car rolls about 10 feet and I think it was probably downhill. Then the cops show up. I go to jail and he's, he's the one who snitched on me. Hmm. That's how it all worked. That's how it all worked. You know, I ended up in um, the hospital in Berkeley. Wow. Well, thank you so much, Warren. You did not disappoint. All right. Thank you. I appreciate you saying that. (laughs) Have a good day. Be in touch, man. Thank you so much. Have a good one. All right, brother. Okay. So that was Warren Boyd from Wavelengths, and I really do appreciate him coming on. Um, With 28 years, 29 years of abstinence, he counts 28 of sobriety, which is pretty fucking impressive to me. Um, And if you didn't notice how good the sound quality was, it's all because of this thing I bought, the Bose Micro something or other that uh, my buddy Brad, uh, producer, editor extraordinaire, uh, insisted I buy 
after so many in the Dopey Nation have been complaining about the quality of this of the phone calls. I bought this Bose micro thing, and it was pretty fucking good. So I'd like to hear your feedback on the Bose thingamajig w, or at dopeypodcast at gmail.com. Thank you, Warren. And um and like I just wanted to try to do something different this episode, and Warren was very much like an authority on getting clean and being in sobriety and being in recovery and and treating people to get them clean. And I wanted to try to get to the other side of that coin. And I thought of uh, my friend Hannah, who is in the Dopey Nation. She was actually the first uh, member of the Dopey Nation to get a Dopey Tattoo, girl with the Dopey Tattoo. And uh, and Hannah is struggling. Um, I'll let her tell the story. And uh, here's Hannah. All right. This is... Uh, a dopey exclusive interview. Uh, this woman has been around uh, the doposphere, patent pending, by the way, for a long time. <laughs> Fucking years ago, Chris and I had a tattoo artist on the show, and and Chris wanted someone to get a dopey tattoo, and he convinced the tattoo artist. Well, first, let me introduce the guest. It's the girl with the dopey tattoo. It's my friend and yours, Hannah. Welcome to the show. Hello. Thank you. How are you feeling, Hannah? Hey, I'm, I'm, I'm okay. Right on. <laughs> what were you going to say? I was just thinking about um, even before that, before I even was living in New York, like this time around, I was out in California. The first time I ever heard dopey, I was... I think I had, like, just left Portland and, like, tried to get clean, and I was on this weed farm, and I was, like, trimming, like, crazy amounts of weed, and I think I, like, was looking at podcasts, and I was, like, drugs or, like, something with my search, and I started listening to it, and I was like, yeah, that's pretty funny, so I just, like, trimmed so many pounds of weed listening to all the all the first episodes. Right? Did you? You might have even heard my weed trimming story. My pathetic. Yeah, weed with trimming. the mastodon. Yeah, when I got when I got pulled over wow. driving up to Sonoma with a <laughs> with a, a trunk with thirty bottles of methadone in it. Um, and at that point, I had never been on methadone, so I couldn't really like picture it, you know. But after like you know, in the time since then, I've like had my own little methadone experience, and like it's just that much more ridiculous. Right, and you, and I mean, your methadone experience, I mean, is not a little experience either, you know. No. But the funny, I want to get to the the funny part of all of this. But I mean, there's a lot of tragedy. There's a little bit of joy. But the funny part of all of it to me is that we had what was? Do you remember that guy's name, the tattoo artist? Dude, no, I don't even remember like where it was. I don't remember his name either. I, you know, I confused the guy with Noah Levine. I'll I'll get the name before the end. Cause he was- he was kind of a babe. You liked him. What? You thought you, you liked him. You were attracted to that guy. He had tattoos on his head. That guy. The tattoo. What? I can't hear anything you're saying. You can't hear me well. How's that? Better or worse? Yeah, good. You say he's kind of a babe. You liked him. Yeah, yeah. I mean, as much as I could like someone at that point, I was like out of my mind. But I just remember being like, "That guy's kind of hot." Oh, nice. Well, he went on the show, and he was like this big-time fucking dopey, or a big-time tattoo artist. And and he was like, you know what? I'll do a free 
dopey tattoo uh, for somebody, and Chris was super excited. So we put it on the show, and then you wrote in, and you were like, I'll get the dopey tattoo. And uh, and you showed up at his tattoo parlor, and you were all kinds of fucked up, you know? <laughs> you, yeah, I was pretty high you were so high uh that he decided he was going to charge us for the tattoo he was supposed to yeah he was supposed to give it for free but then you were so fucking high that he charged us for the tattoo man i wasn't like ridiculous i thought we were fine he he was a money he was a money-grubbing uh tattoo artist in recovery um and i'll figure out his name so i apologize to him and anybody else who remembers his name (laughs) Yeah, I guess I should uh, apologize as well. Well, considering you were so attracted to this tattoo artist covered in tattoos, yes. Um, Oh, my God. But so then uh, Hannah was supposed to come by the restaurant I work at and have brunch with me and Chris, and she she didn't. She blew us off. And then we we were like, what's happened to Hannah? And Hannah sent in a version of her playing Good So Bad in the street, um... Uh, and I was just amazed because it was a beautiful version and it, it really touched me that you played the song. I still love that song. Well, it's a, it's a pretty good song. And then, then we get to the crazy, crazy, crazy. And uh, it, it's it's two years later and I go to uh, a, you know, a 12-step meeting uh, in Manhattan and uh, I raise my hand to share and I share a little bit about this or that, and I'm leaving, and Hannah, uh, this girl, you know, this girl is like, you were like the chair of the meeting, you were the secretary of the meeting. Yeah, that was my meeting. Yeah, and and she's like, hey, and she points to her ankle, and she has the Dopey logo tattooed on her ankle, and that's how we (laughs) met. Isn't that crazy? And had you not shared, I would never have you know, figured out who was, but I recognized your voice and you said something about Long Island, I think. And I, was I was like, like I was like, I like to eat chocolate, chocolate chip ice cream in the meeting. And you're like, holy <laughs> shit, it's Dave. Oh my God. And Hannah and Oh man, and Han- I miss on you. I haven't gone in months. Yeah, no kidding. Well, we're going to get to that. We're going to get to that. Yeah, okay, okay, okay. <laughs> now, when I met Hannah, you know, she was, uh, you know, in her p- hippie punk rock glory. And um, and and she, you were on methadone, right? Um. Yeah. When we officially met, yeah, I will. Well, how did you? Then. What got you onto the methadone program in Manhattan? Okay. Well, I don't know if you remember like the full story when I first reached out to y'all about getting that tattoo. I was like sleeping in my van on the Lower East Side, like living the dream. Um. Which, I mean, whatever, ain't my first rodeo. I've definitely been homeless in a lot of places, but it was um, reaching some kind of bottom. And I, I don't know, man. I was just like, eventually ended up parked under a bridge in Brooklyn, sleeping in the van. It was getting, like, so cold. I was just, like, bummed about life, and I was like... Sometimes I was just like, man, I don't want to wake up. Like, this sucks, you know? Like, if I just don't wake up, maybe that'll be fine. But I had maybe one thing to live for, my dog. Maybe you two, love your my dog. music. Yeah. My dog and my music. And I was like, shit, man. I just like, look at my dog, look at my guitar, and be like, 
Uh, and I don't even really remember making the, like, a conscious decision to go. I think I just, like, woke up one day and, like, went to the clinic and was like, help me. And they actually really did. Like, I saw a psychiatrist. I got a, saw, a, like, an actual doctor, like, got a physical. And for the first time in so long, like, just all this stuff that I'd been totally neglecting. It really, really helped me for a while. Right. And, and, you, and you <laughs> then st- I got off it. No, and then you, and you started going to meetings and stuff. And yeah, you, I was slaying it. I was. And, and you were going regularly, and you were actually, because I always give people shit about medical-assisted treatment, and you were actually like a shining example of, of medicated-assisted treatment. I was making it work, yeah. It actually, like, uh, I was using it. Like, uh, but I wasn't abusing it. You know what I mean? Like, I was taking it, but it wasn't, like, ruling my life. But towards the end, I scared myself with it because I would I would miss the clinic. I would, like, not go, and then I would be like, shit. And then the next day, I'd be, like, sick and not be able to get up and go and get it. And so then I would just, like, buy it on the street, and then, like, they have certain hours. And then if you miss them, and then if you miss it again, and then you're sick. And then you're, like, you know, it's different for everyone, but... Towards the end, I was, like, not so consistent with it. And if I would get, like, more than my personal dose, I, like, you know, sometimes be like, oh, let's just have to kick a little extra. And it started to freak me out, and I really did want to be sober. And so I, like, I tried to get off. But I was I mean, and I did get off, but the story, <laughs> it, was, it was a happy story for a minute. It felt free. Tell me about that story. Tell me what happened. What dose were you well, at? Was what, was, what was your leveling dose over there? I went up, up at one point, like briefly when I was getting clean, maybe to like 100, but I got myself down. They kept pressuring me to go up, up, up. That was the one thing I was like, these people are great, but this is why these people, are, these addicts are all fucked up and in liquid handcuffs is because they keep telling, oh, do you want to go up? Should we raise your, every time something's wrong, they're like, should we raise your dose? Right. <laughs> like I'm having a hard day. Like no. Yeah, maybe we should raise your dose. You know, it's like you're having a hard day. Like the train didn't. Yeah. Come. Well, maybe you should be on 120 milligrams. You know. Yeah, it seems like that's the answer for everything there, and most people there, like maybe 80 to 90 percent, are going to say yes and just try to get the highest they can. But I just like had this dream. I mean, I I still do have this dream of just like being sober and not like a bad person and I was like no I know that's not good for me and so for the majority of the time I was on it for like a year and a half and I was on 40 milligrams wow which I'm like uh, I'm, a, I'm a small person so like that's you know still not not nearly as much as some people take no, my friend who's staying with me right now he's on a hundred Right. And I see him, like, get up and go to the clinic in the morning, and I'm so glad I don't have to. I remember dreading that. Like, oh, it's the worst feeling in the world. You wake up for a minute, and you're, like, stoked to be alive, and then you're like, I have to go to the fucking methadone clinic. <laughs> yeah, that was the beauty of take-homes. You know, I, I was on methadone forever, and, like, that story, when I went to go trim the weed, I had been on it long enough, and I had tested clean because i i would use i used every like every third day i would use so i would always test clean because i knew when they tested and Mm -hmm. um and so i wound up with take-homes 
and I wound up like being trusted by my counselor and I, and I had take homes and, and I had a fridge full of fucking methadone and, uh, and I got that job trimming weed and weed was legal in California and they were like, here's 30 bottles go. But still every morning I remember waking up and being like, I have to drink this thing. And if I don't yeah. drink it, I'm going to be sick, you know? And that's, it's, a, it's scary. It's very, very scary. I think it is for me, for some reason, it being so controlled and like this, like certain amount you have to take and feeling like it's like a do or die kind of thing. Cause like, you know, I mean, I guess some people who are like, you know, yes, some junkies are really organized. Like I get this much a day and I do this at this time or whatever. But like most people I know that dealers are like, just do it when they can get it. And when they can get it, they basically just do as much as they can or however much they want. You know what I mean? Like, it's not all like organized like that. Yeah. It's like so black and white. And so if you like, don't get this certain amount at this certain time, you like start to feel it immediately, even if it's just in your head. Yeah. Psychological, but that psychological withdrawal is like you're not going to get actually sick from methadone withdrawal for at least 24 hours. But if you, yeah, you know, but the beginning exactly. in your mind, it's like the sickness is in the mail, as they say. You know what I mean? Like you feel yeah, it, dude. you feel it. Um, now, when you got off the 40, how did you get off of it? I, so towards the end, I was only going like two or three times a day because I was also like peeing clean and doing a pretty good job of going every day. Two or three times a week, you mean? Yeah, I only yeah. had to go two or three times a week and then the rest of the time I'd get take-homes. Yeah. Um, but then towards the end, they like, I was like slacking off and it was winter and I was more depressed than I had been before and I was having trouble waking up and I was cold and like... Uh, they put me on probation and said I have to go every day during my probation. Otherwise, my I'm gonna have to like not go back to my my take home days. And I blew that. And I was like, there's no fucking way. It took me like over a year to get down to like two, three days. Yeah. And I was like, yeah. fuck this. So I just started buying it on the street. And luckily, I made the decision to start just taking less and less every day. Like and buy like two milligrams I would do like go down like two to five milligrams every like week or two with the clinic's help right and you didn't do that on your no, own you did that with them no I did, did it by own. myself so I was like separated into a little bottle right <laughs> so you got kicked out of the clinic and you just started buying it from no I just stopped going right because it was I was on Foley and I was like I can spend 20 bucks on like 150 milligrams and not have to go to the clinic for however many days, four or five days, you know. And also when I start going down, 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 when I was at like 20 milligrams, I could spend 20 bucks on like two weeks, you know. So it was easier for me and I was much rather just sleeping. And I felt like I was doing the right thing. Well, the best thing is that you don't have to go to the clinic. Yeah, and I was criticizing the clinic because I was like, well, they like make me get a crap at what I've been like asking how I'm doing. Da, 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 da. In retrospect, I see why they do that now because when you get off, you are such like a delicate flower. Yeah. But I was being like, fuck this. I'm done. I just want to be free, you know? <laughs> yeah, I do know exactly. So when you, yeah. so when you got off, uh, 
you know, how long, I mean, were you taking pills? Were you just taking methadone? Like, were you smoking I weed? I was only taking methadone. Right. Only. I think I got drunk a couple times while I was kicking and it. it had been the first time that I had drank in also like a year and a half. Well, that's crazy because that meeting that we went to was so, you know, alcohol centric. You know what I mean? Yeah. So, like, that must have been, like, a big thing in your head when you decided to drink. It was a big drink. deal for me. Yeah. So, like, what happened? Was, Describe to me, like, the getting off and all that shit, and then and then what happened? Um, I went from zero to 100. I was like, I'm off the phone. And I, like, went back and started trying to go to my meetings regularly again because when I had gotten really depressed that winter and then when I started getting off of it and I felt really sick, I hadn't been... Getting a little meetings, you know, I just didn't feel motivated. And remember, I told you that I watched that sci-fi movie where there's the girl from Mars, and she's she's walking around on Earth, and like <laughs> for some reason, the way that their bones develop on Mars when they walk on Earth, they feel real heavy, and the lights are like too bright for their eyes, and like <laughs> everything's like all disorienting. It sounds familiar. <laughs> I didn't. Make, I didn't make the connection. I think I texted you something like that. Like, I was watching a sci-fi movie. And anyways, every, like just existing is, like, difficult when you're kicking methadone. And it lasts for a really long time. So you kick methadone. How long is it? And before we even go on any longer, Dopey Nation, you know, if, you're, if you haven't figured this out, Hannah relapsed after she got off methadone. <laughs> no, I'm just breaking it down because I'm telling the story like it's a dopey story and it's okay. like it's going to end in a different way. And I, and I never usually have anybody on who's not in recovery, but I, I, I really do care about Hannah. And uh, fucking, I just think it's, a, it's an important story to hear. And, I, and Hannah was such a fucking, you were a shining example of medicated assisted treatment in recovery. You know, no question about it. And I want to hear, like, no matter what you do, I care about you. You know what I mean? Um, I feel that. Thank you. Uh, you know that. Um, but, like, what? tell us the story of how you went from methadone. Like, you got, what, what, what happened when you started drinking? Like, okay, what was okay. the decision? So I started drinking, not a ton, but just when I really didn't feel good and my neighbor even in a building of a lot of young people so everyone's always partying anyway just go over and be like hey go get a beer and just started drinking and it was like but was it like that Hannah you're you're fucking dope sick off methadone and you just like are like can I get a beer that's the way it happened that's so crazy to me you just wandered out of my apartment and like my roommate hang out over there too like I just went over there and was like, fuck this. I don't want to feel this way anymore. And I got totally sloshed. I feel like the first, I think that it was the first time I drank in a year and a half and I was kicking methadone. I was like completely off of it at that point, but I still felt like shit. And I woke up cuddling my dog in her bed <laughs> in the morning. Right. So that was my first, first time drinking in, in so long. And so that kind of progressed, but I honestly... It didn't take me long to be like, okay, no, I don't want to be a person who drinks. I forgot it makes me feel like I'm fucking poisoned. Right. You know? And so I kind of cut it out, but then I, like, was offered some benzos, and then I was taking some of those, and then I was like, wait, I'm going to be obsessed with these now. Like, I don't want to do this anymore. You know, I really got off methadone so I could just be sober. and Or, like, you know, sober, not on medication. 
And then I went to a meeting one day. I was doing pretty good. I was like, made a big announcement. Like, I'm going to and I'm back. And then I went to a meeting and felt like I was doing really good. And I met up with an old friend. And we sat by the water and talked about old times and da 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 da. Fast forward two months or something. Now he's like, sleeping in my house and right. we're using again. Right. Were you, you were like talking about how good dope was and why can't we just do it kind of thing? It was totally my idea too. It's the craziest thing and I had been clean longer than him. Right. And you were like, we should, and how did he, what was the conversation like? It was like we were like, I, I was also, mm, okay, so there was some glorifying for sure, but there was also, like, shit, I'm really glad we're not fucking homeless anymore. Like, we we, we were talking about how we both got fatter and, like, you know what I mean? Like, yeah. um, normal being clean stuff, but then I was like, I do remember laughing a lot. Like, I, like, we used to have a fucking blast, but we were also living, like, really different lives, neither of us had a house. And when we met, back up a couple of months ago we both did and everything was going all right and well how's it going now i guess <laughs> i was playing so well no i really don't know if this is what happened i just know that it was my fucking idea and we were talking about stuff and i was like well maybe we could just and like ended up calling in our same exact dude that we used to go see. It was like no time passed. It was crazy. And it was so stupid. And I remember that night I got so high and I was like, oh yeah, like this is the answer. Like I forgot. Right. And then the next day I was like, I never don't want to feel this way. Right. Of course. Right. Cause I remember but like I did, uh, just as, just as you got off methadone and, and I, I don't know if I had run into you or, or I texted you or, I don't remember what had happened when I knew that you were off methadone. I was trying to get you on the show. You were texting. And then, like, you didn't come on the show. And then, like, Mm -hmm. time passed. And then, like, you turned up and you're like, I fucking, I'm using and I I don't want to stop. And, like, just hearing you say that, it, like... I knew what you meant. You know what I mean? Like, it had been, it's been a long, it's been a long, long time since I was in that situation, but I was totally in that situation where I was using and, and people just were like, what the fuck? And I was like, and there was nothing I could say. It's hard to say to somebody, I don't want to stop. You know what I mean? Like, I know. And I actually like, don't think I could have really said that to many other people, but because I've listened to so many things like of you, like talking about it, I feel like it's like, he gets it. No. Yeah. I don't know. My sponsor keeps texting me like she hasn't in a little while. Because I haven't been answering her much, but she'll text like, how many days do you have? You know, because of course I told her what happened. And after, I think it was like two weeks after that, the first relapse day, I actually got a bit strung out. And, and then, then I kicked for it and I was, I didn't use for like five or six days. And I was like, all right, fuck that. Like, I had a relapse and start counting days again. But I just couldn't. I just couldn't. I so badly did not want to go back and say, I have a day. Or I have 
two days. You know, I just was like, I don't want to do this. I just want to curl up in a ball and, like, hide. And, like, I even want to be sober, but I don't want to be on drugs. You know, it's just... Did you really, say, did you, really say you don't you don't want to be sober, but you don't want to be on drugs? Is that what you said? Yeah, that's how I felt. I still kind of feel that way, but it's like I do miss being sober and feeling like, um, I guess, more hopeful than I do right now. Well, it's such Although a I hum- know everything ebbs and flows. I, I was at a meeting today, right? I go to this meeting on Long Island at the beach. You know, in Long it, Island? Yeah, in Long Island. It's this very, <laughs> it's like a pretty beautiful spot, and there was this old dude. And he was, it was like a meditation meeting and it was all about like, uh, fear and anxiety and all this stuff, you know? And, uh, and this old dude was saying how he was really bogged down with all this fear and anxiety. And I thought that was strange. You know what I mean? Just cause he, he said, he, I think he said he had three years, uh, clean. So I, I asked him, yeah. I asked him after the meeting and he said that he had three years off of alcohol, but he only had 50 days off of like oxys. Um, oh, well, that would do it. That's what I said, you know, and I think, like, it's a long trip back from where you're at, but it, but you know what it takes to do it, you know? It's just a fucking pain in I the do. ass to do it. <clears throat> but you know what? I've um, I've kicked before. In the past, I've gotten clean um, without assisted medication and only been able to stay clean for, like, a couple months. And then relapse again. And I think the methadone did help for, like, the long-term stuff. But it's also, it's just like a, it's like a win-lose kind of, well, you know, because it helps. But then it's also like you don't, when you don't have it after that, you feel like you're, like, going out into the world naked. Right. Well, that's true. But I think it's obvious from your story what went wrong, which is you you wouldn't follow the directions. You know what I mean? Like you didn't stop going to meetings. I stopped calling people. I got off methadone. Yeah, but you also you also got off methadone like on in your own way, which never works. You know what I mean? Like that shit is like fucking jumping off a bridge. It's just like it's painful. I mean, it's not like I'm in cold turkey, but I do understand what you're saying. I did. <laughs> I'm like I, trying to give myself credit. <laughs> I like I kicked methadone like super slow, uh, and then at 30, I checked into a detox in California, and because um, I was coming off 150, you know, uh, and, and, I, and I checked into a detox in California, and um, and it was like before Suboxone was really big. And uh, and they were kind of treating you with like buprenorphine, but I don't really know the chemical stuff like all that well. It was some sort of buprenorphine suboxone thing, and it made me. Were they like stop signs? Those orange ones? No, I I don't even remember. You know, it was a long. We're we're talking about we're talking about uh, (laughs) nine years ago. I don't, and I was fucked up. And also when I. I don't know, like when I tested, when I went in, they said there was no heroin in my system, which meant I was just shooting clonopin, you know, like I, like I was just getting tar off the street and like there was no heroin in it or something oh at the end. Oh my God, so, what are you doing? I, I don't know, but in the end... Tar is like ridiculous. Yeah, yeah, but it, who knows what it was. I, I think there had to have been heroin and I, was, and I was obviously addicted to methadone either way. So I like checked mm-hmm. in at 30 milligrams and I, and I took whatever they gave me, which I think was like the beginning of Suboxone and it, and it hit me like crazy. It made me feel like I was like on speed and tripping and crazy. And, um, 
because I, I guess it was because I was coming off of so much methadone and, and benzos. You know what I mean? I was coming off so much benzos. Um, but I went like crazy. And while I was in treatment, the treatment center was like, like a, a hexagon around a park. Like it was like all these buildings and inside the buildings was a park. So it was like a, a hexagon of buildings and in the middle was a park. If, if you understand hexagonal. what I'm saying. It was a hexagonal structure with a playground in the middle. And I would like walk around the track and think about how much I fucked up my life and lie in the grass and think about that shit. And and this Armenian guy checks in and I told this story on Dopey a long time ago. Um, but I don't know if it ever got erased. Um, if it was one of the lost episodes, maybe, but uh, this Armenian guy checks in and, um, he calls one of his friends and his friends come comes to the outside of the building and he fills a tennis ball up with tar. Are you talking about the fruit? No, no. He fills a tennis oh, no. ball up with tar and he throws it over the building so it lands in the park. And the Armenian guy grabs the tennis ball and he runs back to the room and one of the counselors sees that he, he had something and he takes the tennis ball and he throws it into the room and my bed was the first bed and he throws it onto my bed okay <laughs> and I grab it and I and somebody grabs it out of my hand and he opens it up and it's some fancy tar like with a stamp and everybody uh-huh. freaks out and he starts breaking it up and giving it out to all the people in the detox and I was oh on, my god that's so bad. Yeah, it was bad. And I was on Suboxone, so I was blocked, but I didn't realize that I was blocked, so I fucking put it on my nose. Some dude grabs his... Did you get a... tar in your nose? Huh? Yeah, because did I wasn't... Tar in your... Did you get it wet first? Yeah, yeah. But it was, but it didn't affect me at all. But these guys were so crazy. One dude had a syringe like in the in the frame of his bed, and he oh and, so he starts shooting it, and he passes his syringe to some other guy, and he starts shooting it off of him. And it's like bedlam. It's like insanity. And um, and so I basically relapsed uh, in the middle of my kick blocked on an opiate blocker and i get kicked out of the clinic so uh so when i got home i was just in methadone withdrawal and um that's how i wound up getting off of methadone and i got really sick and i did dope one more time before me and my girlfriend of the time moved to vermont but that was like a mess and then like i took pills and stuff and it took me a long time to get anywhere but but the point of the story is i think you are a great candidate for for medicated assisted treatment and i think like if you do it you stabilize and when you want to get off you do it slowly and you follow the fucking directions yeah i want to walk the rails i don't actually too slowly to be honest because i fucking hate you wait say that again i did do it pretty slowly to be honest because I really don't like feeling sick, but I, I definitely went a little off the rails and should have at least been, like, checking in with someone, you know what I mean? Because you also, like, re- even beyond feeling like shit, like, physically, you get these more thoughts. You're just, like, thinking about using more. It's weird. Wait, explain that. Know. Explain that. So, even when I started to feel better, because I was off it for, like, I think a month or two, maybe more. I don't know where all the time went, but I was off it for a little while and was 100% sober. 
And I started to feel better physically, but I became like I was thinking about using way more frequently. Like I became like had more of the like obsessive thought, right? Way more than way more than when I was taking the methadone, even though I wasn't having like physical cravings or anything like that. It was almost and like I, the, the methadone took that place for you. It was like a placeholder. Exactly. Even maybe yeah, I don't know if it was. Just saw in my head or what, but I was thinking about it all the time. And when I look back, I'm like, oh, you know, I think I probably made the decision to use long before I did, and I didn't even realize it. Right. You know, like I made the decision to relapse probably weeks before. Right. And it just kind of maybe my friend when I went to see him he was like, "Do you just want to see me because you want to go relapse? Like you want you want to?" Wait, use, Hannah, it's like, hard for me to hear you. Stop. Talking to the phone. I didn't hear what you just said. My friend who I, I lost, he, he asked me, he's like, did you just come and see me because you wanted to use? Like, was this your plan all along? And I was like, no, I legitimately I missed you, like, for real. Uh, and he's like, are you sure? Like, I don't know. And I was like, no. And then I was thinking about it later. And I was like, maybe subconsciously, like, I had this whole plan. <laughs> but right. Um, I wasn't like, oh, I'm going to use today. Like, I'll hop on to a meeting and was feeling okay that same day. And then fast forward, like, seven hours later, I'm like, not out of my mind. Right. So, I don't know. The worst thing... Hey, you reminded me of something. Sorry, what were you going to say? No, no, you say it. What were you going to say? Okay, well, when you were talking about seeing that guy at the meeting on Long Island and he said that he was, like, having troubles with anxiety and stuff... The meeting I went to, maybe not that day, but, like, one of them, like, right before I relapsed, I was at this women's meeting, and there's this woman who had maybe seven years, and I was sitting right next to her, and she was like, she was like, she raised her hand, and she just started saying, like, I just don't feel joy. (laughs) She's like, I don't like anything. I don't like anyone. Like, you say any stuff, and I was like, oh, I know. <laughs> I like, totally I can relate. so bummed. And, like, oh, God, fucking miserable company. So, like, that fucking, that, that dissatisfaction, miserable thing resonated in you. But you were already, you were ready. You were ready. The question is, like, and honestly, like, first of all, everybody's dying, Hannah. You know, I know it. Everybody's fucking dying. So like, I know. I mean, every I week, no, none of my friends are alive anymore, man. Every week that I don't hear from you, I'm like, I bet <clears> you <throat> she's fucking dead. You know, I, I got to get her on the show before she dies, kind of thing. And um, oh, so it'll be like I'll be like immortalized. Yeah, you'll be like a really valuable baseball card. This episode will be really oh. valuable. Oh no, awesome. dude. I mean, <laughs> my Sorry, point no, is. No, no. I'm very careful. That's bullshit. There's no such thing. I am. How? I mean, come on. This is. I don't want to hear about it. Uh, what I want to okay, know okay. is, like, I don't want to hear how careful you are. Um, I know you don't. I just. I want you to like do your best, man. You know, like. I'm fucking not doing my best right now, but I. Yeah, I could be. Whatever. I'm not. I didn't put you on the show to guilt you. You know what I mean? I know. I know. I know. I know. I do enough of that on my own. So it's all right. You can do whatever you want. I don't want you to die. And I know. I don't want to die. I know you're. I really don't. I I believe you. 
I know you, you know, I believe you. And I think you're capable of having a good life. And I think you know that deep down too. I do too. And I plan to, that's the thing. It's weird. Like, I don't know. I feel it's a weird thing. I don't know if anyone can relate to this, but like just during right here, like I know that I will be sober again. You know, I just think now, now in this day and age, like I'm sure Chris thought that too, you know? Yeah, maybe he did. Yeah, he probably did for sure. I think lots of people think that and now everybody's just fucking dying. So like, yeah, just consider it. You know what I mean? Are you still, I mean, I'm, I'm imagining that you're still actually getting pretty high. Um, um, not crazy. I'm actually like a little bit sick right now. <laughs> yeah, that's fun. Is the guy coming? Um, I think so. Wow. This is a very unusual dopey thing. So I don't really... It is, it is, it is. But like, I have no, I'm actually really I've been kind of like trying to do that. Here, say that again. Oh. You're, you're, you're fading out. Say that again. I said I've actually been trying to come out of the call, but I think um, a friend went to come over, but I'm also not sure I've like been trying to just watch TV and not pay attention to it. Well, I mean, the the thing is, you know, and I've been there a million <laughs> times. The thing is, if you're if you're not going to get it tomorrow, you need a fucking plan. And if you are going to get it tomorrow, what's the difference what you do tonight? You know what I mean? Yeah, it's true. You need a fucking plan. You know, whatever that is, you know, I could never do it on my own. I always had to go away personally. Um, I, could I can ne- do it. Yeah, I can't do it on my own. I needed to go away every time. But, um, you know. My friend found a giant bag of crack on the ground at Union Square yesterday. He found what? A huge bag of crack. Did you smoke it with him? I <laughs> shot it. There you go. <laughs> I don't know if this was a destructive move in the na- in the name of Dopey or not, but um, maybe not. But there is, I think, everyone has a home home. Are you not talking into the receiver? I can't hear you. Get all muddy. Talking to the receiver. I don't. I'm I'm right here. Can you? Yeah, but you muddied up. You said everyone what? I think everyone probably has a pretty good finding drugs on the ground story. Bunch of them. What ground scoring stories? Yeah, that is not the point, Hannah. You know that is not the <laughs> point. Of course, but it would be good though. That would be good dopey. I don't think I ever had a good uh, ground scoring story, and I don't want you to tell a funny story because I'm worried about you. Okay, I'm sorry. Don't be worried. Please don't be worried. I'm worried anyway. But, okay, how about this? No, you know, you know which story I love is that van story. That's what I was just going to say. I was like, do you remember? <laughs> I was telling you about how you've been in the van and I have my drug dealer. I can't hear you, though. What are you doing with the phone? I'm holding it in my state. That's it. You sound good now. You, like, get all naughty and you fucking push it into your cheek or some shit. Okay, okay. Are we good? I don't know. No, it's not good. It's not good? Now it's better. It's not me. Put it on okay. speaker and hold it right next to your mouth. Okay, hold on. <laughs> uh, oh, I don't even know how to do this. Okay. That's better. All right, can you hear me now? Yeah, it's much better. So tell me the van story, okay. and then tell me you're going to get clean. Okay. <laughs> so I did mention how I was living in the van in uh, lovely, lovely Manhattan, and for a while I had this 
my my dealer, I said, somehow I convinced him that he should come sleep in the van because I had that, like a couch in my van as well as my bed. And I was like, no, man, you can just like, crash on the couch. And obviously I was like trying to get him to um, stay in there so he'd give me free drugs, which he did. He was like, wake up every morning and like go to the methadone clinic because my dealer was on the clinic too. <laughs> and he would like leave me a couple bags before he left. Um, but this one day, I had gone out to Queens to make money. I went and played some guitar, made a bunch of bunch of bread. And I was coming back, and I was trying to get in touch with him. And I got back to the van, and he wasn't there. I was like, what the fuck? Where is he? I'm trying to get in touch with him. And I hear from some kids on the street that they think he got arrested. And so after, like, the day goes by, and I'm trying to, like, verify this, I finally find him on the inmate roster the next day and I know where all his all the the stash is it's in my van (laughs) and so I just did it all and a few weeks later I ended up one of the lights on the ceiling of my van just like fell down and like a bag of coke came out of it and I was very excited about that I, I was finding drugs in that van for so long after that and did he ever show up again? He's still in jail. Wow. So that's that's Yeah, he got caught with an insane amount of dope. See, that's the the best definition of the free lapse in the history of free lapses. You know. <laughs> people people say the free lapse is like a drug dream, but the actual free lapse is when you get ridiculous amounts of drugs for free. <laughs> Hey, I have one quick thing I need to tell you really quick. Yeah. The kid I went, the kid I went to prom with when I was, like, 17. Yeah. I, I kind of kept in touch with him for a little while. And, I, like, every time I would go home, I, we would hang out maybe sometimes. But one of the last times I went home, I hit him up and I couldn't get in touch with him. And someone was like, geez, don't you read a paper? And I was like, what? And so I Googled his name. And apparently he robbed a bank. And then he robbed the bank again, the same bank, twice in, like, two weeks. And then was on the run for, like, four months. They couldn't find him. And then he got caught in a New York taxi cab in, like, I think it was in Bangor, Maine, maybe, somewhere in Maine, with, like, $50,000 worth of dope in a duffel bag. Jesus Christ, what happened to him? He actually just got out of jail. Well, somehow I don't know how he's free because he had to do the possession charge in Maine, and then he would have had to do the time for the bank robberies in another state where I'm from that I'm not going to mention. And so I don't know how he's out, but he's out. And he said he's clean, he's doing well, and he's not on medication. Oh, but when they took him in, when he got arrested, he was in such bad withdrawal that he. His kidneys were failing, and he died, and they had to revive him. Wow. And then he died again, and then they, he had to be on dialysis for a long time. Well. Just to survive, like, just to survive withdrawal. Hannah, what are you going to do? What's your plan? I'm going to make better choices, Dave. You're lying. What's your plan? You're going to fucking <laughs> get dope tonight. But um, but I, I wish you well, you know what I mean? Like, I'll pray for you if you want me to. Yeah, do it. I'm gonna try not I'm to die, Hannah. Please, I'm not going to, and I'm gonna get my shit together. And also, I 
God, I'm finding a new place to live. What happened to going to your grandma's? <laughs> I think you should go to your grandma's. Start over. Go to Dude, detox. Dude, I've been thinking about, what do you, I mean, geez, you're like in my brain because I've been thinking about running away and going down to my grandma's next month. I'm not in your brain. You told me that on the phone the other morning before you got high. I did? Yes. <laughs> All right, fine. I guess you're not a mind reader. No, but uh, but I got you, Hannah, and um, you know, I wish you well. And if you ever need anything, you please call me, okay? Thanks, man. Yeah, and if um, you ever want to hear uh, funny stories that aren't going to make you worry about me, you you know where I am. Well, get clean, and I want to hear all the funny stories. But like, I don't. Wanna, okay, okay. I don't want to be irresponsible. You know what I mean? I just feel you're like you know what I 100% mean. One hundred percent not responsible. You know what I mean. I know what you mean. All right. Well, be well, Hannah. Be careful. And, uh, you know, I love you. I love you, too, man. And uh, wait, uh, stay strong, Dopey Nation, and toodles. There it is. All right, Hannah. Take care. Bye-bye, you, too. Bye. So that was Hannah. And before I say anything else, I remember that the tattoo artist's name was Ryan Roy. He's an amazing artist. Uh, he actually wrote me, and I didn't write him back. And um, and it makes me think of Joe Schrank's uh, tribute to Chris tattoo contest, and nobody sent in a, a tattoo design. I don't know why. Uh, he wants a tattoo design as a tribute to Chris. Uh, he doesn't want the word toodles. If you guys are artists that can make tattoo designs, you should do that. Um, anyway, I found it very touching to have Hannah on the show. I really feel for Hannah. Um when I met her, it blew me away that uh, that she had been the one who had gotten the dopey tattoo. It really meant something to me. And then we talked a bunch, and uh, Hannah, Hannah's a musician, and Hannah is a really sweet person. And uh, and when I met her, when she was on methadone, all she wanted to do was uh, get off methadone, but she was thriving on methadone. And I always talk shit about medicated-assisted treatment, but with Hannah, it just it really seemed like... Um, it was her chance, and and not that's not to say Hannah doesn't have a chance. Um, I tried to get her on Dopey a million times when she was on methadone, and she never came on. And uh, and then she got off methadone, and she was like clean for a second, and she had written me, and she's like, "I'm off methadone, and I want to do the show, but Hannah's really hard to get a hold of," and um, and I couldn't get a hold of her, and it wasn't until after she relapsed that I heard from her, and I just really felt compelled to get her on the show. Um, you know, frankly, I'm actually scared that she's going to die and I wanted her to get on the show before she died. Um, if you guys are out there on methadone and it's working, stay on methadone. You know, the, the point of methadone is, is so you don't have to live dangerously and have a, a totally unmanageable life. Methadone just didn't work out for me. Uh, it was working out for Hannah until she jumped off of it. Um, I think Hannah can get clean. But I also think Hannah can die. I think either scenario is, is incredibly possible. And obviously, I care about Hannah, and uh, I want her to do well. And I want you guys to do well. And I would love to hear your thoughts about Hannah. If you want to write a note, uh, I'll send it along to her. It's uh, dopeypodcast at gmail.com. And I do, I mean, we always had a rule about not putting anybody uh, not in recovery on the show. And, um, you know, I like to stand by that rule. The only time I didn't stand by that rule, there was uh, Todd, of course. And Todd, um, you know, I, I would have put Todd on the show if he was totally fucking high, which he was. 
You know, he actually showed up to my dad's house to do the show high. Um, and Artie Lang, I didn't realize he was high, but he was high. Nick Reiner, I'm, I'm certain, was drunk and high on the show several times. And Chris, in the end, was high. Um, the rule is a guideline. Hannah was an exception because I wanted her to be on the show. I also knew that she understood recovery enough to, to kind of give it its purpose within the fact that she was high and she was in withdrawal when she called in, which I think is profound, too, because if any of you guys are out there who are listening to the show that have been in withdrawal, you could kind of hear it in her voice. Um, the crazy thing to me is if, if I was in withdrawal and I wasn't going to go check in, I would cop tonight. I wouldn't wait for tomorrow. And um, But, you know, everybody uses in different ways and... Uh, I mean, I think sometimes between the episodes, I, I I forget about what it was like to actually be using, to actually get sick, to actually um, run home and, and be dying to use. I, I mean, I remember one thing that kept popping into my head this week as I was getting ready to do the show was that whenever I had dope or I, I would get dope on my way home from work, I would um, or I would have dope waiting for me at home. I remember I would walk into the door and I would let my pants fall off my waist because I wear very loose pants. I would let them fall off my waist and I would run for the spoon and I would just bite the the bags in half and I would just cook the the heroin up as quickly as I could because I just wanted to to get comfortable as quickly as I could. And um, it's just such a different life that I have now. You know, I have this middle class suburban life and... um, you know, that's not the point. The point is I don't get in withdrawal. Uh, my life isn't about to topple on me. And, uh, and, I, and I love that. You know, I hate talking about gratitude, but I'm incredibly grateful uh, that I got to live through this thing. And, um, and I root for Hannah and I root for anybody out there who's struggling. And I've decided that I'm not against medicated assisted treatment, people. I've changed my tune. If medicated assisted treatment is working for you, then by all means, uh, do it. Whatever you can do to, to have a, uh, the nicest life that you can have. That's how I feel about it. All right. Before we end the show, I just want to, first of all, I want to thank everybody who gave on Patreon. But um, I want to celebrate some people in Dopey Nation Facebook land uh, for some clean time, which is something I never do. First of all, Dopey Superfan, Dan Alley Sr., uh, congratulations on your year, bud. That's awesome. Steve Penzera, uh, also congratulations on your year. And congratulations on having a name that sounds like Pantera. Steve Penzera with a year. Amy Kay. Also, with one year, congratulations. I also want to thank, uh, or not thank, I want to congratulate Annie Alley for six months. Hardcore Dopey fan with six months. Speaking of hardcore Dopey fans, we got to give it up to good old, uh, from Iowa, Iowa Dopey, Matt Wedemeyer Carroll, or however you pronounce your name. He has some fucking inmate producing bootleg Dopey leather goods, and they look pretty fucking good. So, Matthew, and he sent me a beautiful dopey decal. Um, I put it somewhere. I think I put it on that mirror in that coffee shop where I put all the stickers. So, Matthew, you're doing, you're doing the Lord's work here. So, thank you. And, and who saw Artie Lang at the gas station pumping gas? He's somewhere in New Jersey. Artie Lang is on his way back to uh, society, and maybe he's on his way back to Dopey. I'm thinking about just taking my car and driving to Jersey and stopping at every gas station. I know the Dopey Nation got tired of my Artie obsession, but it lies in wait inside of me. 
Love Artie. So happy to see him doing well, and uh, hopefully he'll come on the show eventually. Uh, before we go, my sweet father has some things to say, so uh, let's let's check in with my dad. Hello. Hey, Dad. So what do you got to say about the, How are you? What's going on? You ready for this trip? I'm just, well, you know, it's very, very late. You're, t- you're telling me you're going to call me at a certain time, and, and you're always late. I said I was going to call a- between 9.30 and 10, and it's 10. It's 10.08. That's how much It's how actually, much it's, technically, it's 10.06. First are you? Are you? Uh, wait a minute. Are you going to let me talk about the criticism I want to give you, or are you going to interrupt me again? Maybe. Hopefully you both. Had a, all right. You had a great show last week. Thank you. Uh, Amy Dresner was terrific. You had a terrific time, and of course, one of the parts of the show was you, you like to make fun of your father. Uh, you, you seem to enjoy that, and uh, some of it was certainly not very true at all. What was totally not true? Ridiculous. Well, the salad was ice cold, so that's no, why it was out. No, no, the salad wasn't ice cold, and you gave me a knowing look that you screwed up with the salad, first of all. I did. And second of all, I have to say, the reason you thought the show was good was because I made yeah. fun of you. That's why you well, like the show. No, that, 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 that's not true. Because this, you this, this, bask in the attention that the show brings you. And, you know, nobody, nobody even commented on the, on the incredible shtick I did about you and the salad or the phones uh, ringing. That was my favorite part of the show. Yeah, well, that was the part that got my attention. That's true. That's true. By the way, there's somebody did comment about the show. That sweet young girl who called in uh, about the white privilege business, she wrote on your Twitter thing that she's sending love to me because it says it must be very difficult to be the parent of an addicted person. Is that what she said? Uh, yeah, oh, that's well. That's what she said on the Twitter account, and uh, she she was absolutely terrific. And uh, and you know what? It's difficult being your parent, whether you're addicted or not addicted. I'll tell you that. Uh, in in my in my opinion, and the thing about the the white privilege, of of course, she's right. And of course, on the last show before the last show, you didn't give me a chance to even. Oh God, Dad, do we really have to go down opinion. this fucking white privilege thing again? We don't have to go down it, but of course, the, the can point you give of the me, matter. Can you give me an abridged opinion, please? Yes, when when you are part of of a society that has been treated as slaves like two generations, three generations ago, of course it's racism and a horrible horrible thing, and it has to change. And white privilege is is uh, is uh, is something that just shows the inequality of the society. And by the way, your great grandfather. Uh, being white and Jewish was also thrown out of uh, Poland and Russia and had to escape and get to the United States because of religious bigotry, uh, which also leads. I don't want to talk about what you said that I said about God. Do you remember what you said I said about God or something? I think you should stop listening to the show. Yeah, maybe I should. Anyway, the point of the matter is, I thought the show was terrific, and uh, except for what you said about me. And uh, the other point I wanted to make, did you see the latest um, iTunes reviews? Well, that's why I wanted to see if your computer was on, but since there's something wrong with your computer, I will read the latest iTunes review of the week. Okay? Cause I no, know that- read, read, I mean, there was one beautiful one, absolutely beautiful one. All right, I'm um, going to read it. Okay, you ready? 
see see if you can figure out which is the beautiful one. Yeah, go. Hold on. I'm gonna read. Uh, I'm gonna read it. Um, worst recovery podcast ever. If you want to relapse, then tune into this garbage. Time to fold it, dude. Game over. That was four months ago, and that guy was fooling around. How about That's this one? The- How about this one? Uh, I sometimes enjoy this podcast, but I'm often struck by the fact that it's mainly wealthy white men who are misogynistic oh, yeah. at best. I can't recall ever hearing a story told by a racial minority, and I remember listening to just two by women. The men sharing have wealthy parents, one with the Manhattan apartment that we hear about in every single episode to fall back on. Do you want to get me angry again? I mean, kind of. <laughs> All right, I'll read, I'll, read, I'll read a good one. Hold on. I'll read, well, let me read my, my favorite fucking terrible one. Um, one star, these guys have been depressing. Oh, here's my favorite one. Lacking in character and intellect. I think these two walk a dangerous line glorifying drug addiction. Sounds yeah. like a bad NA meeting where everyone is on the verge of relapse. I unsubscribed. Arrogant. Lacking in good character. All right, now I'll get wait, to the good one. I'll get to a good one. Wait, wait. Before you, before you do, remember when I told you that when you were reading all the good reviews, it was almost like too self-congratulatory? So you really went, went the other way with those last four. That's for sure. All right, you should read the good one then. Now, I'm going to tell you something, Dad, and you're going to tell me why it has uh, significance, okay? Yeah. Okay. Right now, you're not going to be able to answer this question. There are 420 customer reviews what is the significant of significance of that number to the dopey nation 424 no 420 420 customer reviews do you know the significance of that no it doesn't matter it's some pothead stupid shit anyway at 420 potheads smoke smoke pot it's just a thing it's a stoner thing and it's ironic that we have 420 customer reviews. And it's sweet that you don't know about that. Um, well, what is that? Wait, wait, what's a customer review? Is that the same as the iTunes review? Yeah, it's, it's that there are, nine, there are 1,059 ratings. And 420 uh-huh. of those 1,059 ratings are actual reviews. Now, this has taken me way longer than I would have liked, so I'm going to read one review, and we're going to be done with it, okay? Okay. How does that sound? Fine, go for it. Okay. Uh, day and night, I listen to Dopey Podcast all day and all night. Thank Christ, my girlfriend likes it too. I'm past my addictions, but I'm not clean. It's still tough. Laughing about it helps. And that's Accolagio. Day and night, five stars. And I'm going to read... Um, oh, there's a new one that I didn't read yet. I'm going to read it now. It's long, though. Okay? Um, I want to start off, and it's by Squa- Squamule. I think, Squamuel, and he says, it's the best. I want to start off by saying that Dopey has been the number one influence in my life uh, in terms of encouraging me to take steps towards recovery. When I got into Dopey about a year ago, I had just graduated from college with a bag of black tar tucked under my gown with no notion of what I wanted to do with my life. I wasn't ready to abandon drugs, but I knew something had to change. Much as Dave and Chris had intended, I sought Dopey out originally for the Dopey stories and stayed for the recovery. This winter, I discovered that my partner had been lying about her sobriety, and her drug use continues to be very difficult and painful for me. Staying sober ain't easy when you live in Dope's company. Dopey has been instrumental in giving me a platform for understanding and approaching the tough 
things I know I need to do if I want a chance of having the life I want. I have started to attend meetings uh, semi-regularly, work with an addiction specialist, significantly reduce my pot consumption, and taper off Suboxone. I currently listen to Dopey for one to four hours a day, and I'm working through all the gratitude today for keeping the podcast going and keeping me company. I was always more of a Dave guy, but as I have grown to be a bigger fan, Chris's life and death have come to mean a great deal to me. I can't begin to express my gratitude to both of the two beautiful people who started this podcast and hope that as Dopey continues to grow, so do I. Toodles. That's very sweet, right? Right, Dan? Yeah, that's that's that was absolutely absolutely. So anyway, so did you did you hear any information about that Patreon thing? I yeah, mean, it, it, I figured it out. My dad was very confused on how to get. I can't figure it out. All right, just calm down. This is what you have to do. You go to Patreon dot com, and I changed the URL, which is the address. It's it's www.patreon.com slash dopey podcast. That's it. You go like that. Okay. Yeah. All right. Okay. That's interesting. And you know they're still making fun of this Manhattan apartment. I mean these these people. I mean I don't know where they're getting. I guess they're fooling around. I guess they're just joking when when they. Well, Twitter you do have a very very lovely Manhattan apartment with a beautiful view because I did post a picture of your view once. Oh, the views are great. We got the Empire State Building on one side and Hudson Yards on the other side. It's fantastic, but it's not a it's not a multi trillion dollar. You know, I, it I looks already like explained. it could be. It looks like it could be though, Dan. Yeah, if the place went private, which they're not going private, it's very so spacious, it's, it's, clean. The only thing that that the only problem is that you leave the salad sitting out on the table. That such belong. And when you did that, honestly, Dad, it made me nervous. I, I got scared for you when I saw you were leaving food out to rot on the table for your guests. Uh, it's not not true. Not it's true. true. It you did. You did leave it out to rot, and you looked at me with a look that said, "Uh-oh, right or wrong? Just be honest." Listen, first, you know, first, you know, you, you, you mentioned Seymour's name. I didn't, I didn't tell him that his name was mentioned on the show. I'm gonna me- so we mentioned his Seymour's name. He had a great dinner that night. I did a great because job. Because I refrigerated and- his salad. If you hadn't, <laughs> first, it wouldn't have been that great. And just admit it. When I said the salad shouldn't be sitting out, you looked at me with recognition that you had made a, a weird mistake. Admit it. I thought it was achieving room temperature, and maybe I should have put it back in because achieving what salad wants to achieve room temperature? Well, you don't want it to be too cold. You know why it not? Hurt the palate. It, it will, you know, offend the palate if it's too cold. I think that I've learned something about you, and I never knew this before. But you have a very oh, really? hard time admitting you're wrong. I never that, knew that before. That's true, but I don't think I'm wrong. Now, what about the criticism about all the phones ringing? Dad, I don't want to talk about that. You you, you live in a, a mad house with wilting lettuce and too many fucking phones. I want to get to something more important, which is your yeah, prediction for when Dopey Podcast will hit two million June downloads. Huh? June fifteenth. June fifteenth. And explain that, Professor. I already figured it out. You 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 figure out that on January on January third it was uh what, was it one million I think on January third. And if you do the math of the days between one million and now, and you calculate the difference between now, I mean, I did the calculation two weeks ago where I came up with June fifteenth. I don't know what your rate of re, rate of uh, downloads are now, but I'll stick with June fifteenth. 
All right, so he he predicts June 15th, Dopey Nation. If you have another guess on when uh, the Dopey Podcast will hit 2 million downloads, you let us know. Uh, Dad, thank you for calling in. Uh, It's always a pleasure to have you on the show. Uh, right, yeah, and 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 you should you should be what do you call? It? Think about the criticism of your poor old father sometimes. Dad, just know? admit you shouldn't have fucking left the salad on the table. I think you should say good night to me. That's what I think you should do. All right, good night, Dad. I love you. Thank you for coming on the show. Right, and uh, and tell everybody out there to stay strong uh, and uh, and be good out there. Okay. All right. Uh, all right. All right. Anyway, so uh, see you tomorrow. All right. Good night. Love you. Good night. Good night. I love you too. Bye. All right. So, um, stay strong. Uh, oh, before we go, fucking, um, there's a dude on Reddit who is asking about, um, the amazing Jake's banjo version of Good So Bad. So I'm going to put that on the end of this thing because that shit is just high quality. So uh, this is the the Jake West Virginian banjo Good So Bad. But before we do, I also wanted to thank Wusta. Wusta is like the savior of fucking dopey. He's just putting out all this amazing dopey art that Patreon dollar was was Wusta's. And uh, he put out this dopey uh, retrospective. And the beginning of the dopey retrospective is the beginning of this episode. So thank you, Wusta, for that. Thank you, Cormac and Andrew and Paulina and Catherine and everybody who does everything you do. Thank you, Warren. Thank you, Hannah. Uh, thank you everybody on Patreon and thank you everybody else. Stay strong, Dopey Nation, and fucking toodles for Chris. And here's Jake. Thank you, Jake. What's up, Dave and Chris? My name's Jake. I'm 25 years old from West Virginia. I just found Dopey about two weeks ago, and it's my favorite podcast of all time. Y'all are hilarious, and it's just gotten me through some really hard times. And though I'm not clean myself, you know, it gives me a lot of hope for the future. Um, I really like Dave's song, and I'm going to do a little cover of it here on my banjo. Hope y'all don't mind too much. I wrote a uh, third verse myself. Sorry about the poor quality. It's just on my phone. And, uh, sorry about the banjos. Things hard to keep in tune. Show. Home friends I had her on the 
listening on radio I keep checking on my pulse Because it feels like I might die But the thought straightening up Sounds so much better when you're high And I wanna be good so bad y'all hear this makes it through the uh, big inbox emails feel free to play a clip on the show if you want if not I know it kind of sucks alright I really appreciate it thanks y'all